and welcome to the 19th British Football Coaches Network edition of the Developing Your Football World podcast. I'm Matt Ward, like always, and James McLoon is here with me, fresh back from his vacation in the mountains and beaches of Vietnam. And back to the reality of mountains and beaches in Vietnam. So, James, how are you, mate? Did you like what I did there? Kind of your vacation is beaches and mountains and back at home, it's the same. Yeah, Matt, absolutely. Um, very lucky here in Vietnam. Can't complain. It's been a few storms, a bit of stormy season though. now, though, Matt. You know, I'm getting washed away. Got to be careful. Can't go out too late at night or I might not be able to get home. So, yeah, just treading carefully. And it's a huge pleasure to welcome our guest today who has smashed down barriers of women's perceived roles in the game. It's an absolute true privilege to be joined here today by Forest Greens Academy Manager, Hannah Dingley. Hannah, welcome to the show and thank you so much for your time and for joining us. How are you? Um, well, thank you. Um, as I say, we're having similar challenges trying to get players back on the grass and doing some coaching and dealing with the coronavirus and everything that it's throwing at us at the minute. And it, so far, so good, right? Baby steps, taking it a, a bit at a time. Yeah, as I say, we started, we got some players on the grass this week uh, doing non-contact, sort of socially distanced sessions. Um, and we hope to be able to move to sort of stage two of the protocols that the um, uh, Football League have put in place, which will allow us to do some contact sessions starting next week. So uh, we're hopeful um, that things are moving in the right direction. Great, great stuff. So, so next week, that'll come around very quickly. Very, very pleased to hear. Very pleased to hear. Hannah, if you don't mind, I'd like to get straight into what I feel is a, a really vital subject uh, of you being the first female academy manager of a professional football league club. Um, and a while ago, I was speaking with uh, Re Rebecca Sowick, uh, an academy coach at Watford. And she made a great point. Uh, we were talking about a few things and she made a great point that Sometimes female coaches, or not sometimes, majority of time, female coaches can often be pigeonholed uh, as lower age group coaches because they are deemed to be more caring and seem to be more of a, 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 a mothering figure to the, to the academy players, in turn creating this glass ceiling of how, how far females can actually reach as a coach at youth levels or even at, at different levels uh, beyond youth levels. So you've obviously completely smashed through that ceiling and I absolutely love it. So can you just tell us how the role's going so far and how you've kind of been coping in, in the new environment? Yeah, the role's been going really well. Um, the exciting thing at Forest Green is it's a, a blank canvas. Um, so when I started, um, the academy had, been, had Category 3 status for one year. So Category 3s the English um, systems are um, tiered cat one, cat two, cat three, based on finances. So cat three is the lowest level. Um, so it's just sort of breaking in um, because obviously the first team had only just got promoted to the football league. Um, so we'd only just started that academy. Um, but that was exciting because it's a sort of blank canvas. Um, the things, the important things at the academy are in place, as in there's a link with the first team. The first team manager is really keen to develop young kids. So those things that are there um, the basis of what you need to develop players and then obviously my role was to come in and sort of put everything in place around that so, you know the coaching program the science the analysis to give these boys the best opportunity of taking that step and having that opportunity with the first team it, it sounds like a really exciting time for you I mean 
you know, everyone's kind of dream going into any managerial position, whether it be in a different industry or, or football, but especially football, to have a blank canvas. And like you said, to have everything in place ready. And the most important thing, which is, in my opinion, is key, is that link between youth and the first team. Not only having actual senior staff or the main gaffer interested in producing and developing youth, but actually giving the youth players something to aspire to. And from talking to some coaches uh, who are academy coaches and, and, and been involved in both academy and senior level at the same club, sometimes there is that kind of distance between the two. And it, it just doesn't give the good vibe around the environment. You know, the staff haven't got anything to aim to or aspire to, the players don't. And we all want to be seeing where, we, where we're ending up. We all want to be pushing to get into that, that first team environment. So to have everything, you know, in place, but kind of feeling your way around and, and, and having that blank canvas to build on, it must be like an exciting challenge for you. Have you found, um, have you found that true? Or are you still kind of finding your way through some, some new challenges yourself? Yeah, it's definitely an exciting challenge, um, as I said, and that's what one of the most attractive things about the job was, you know, the setup and, the, as I say, the link and the progression through. But, you know, the reality, I suppose, of any role, that's, you know, the good bits, but there are the um, not so nice bits that you still have to, you know, you've got to do and you've got to try and get in place, you know. Um, we, the club is in a beautiful part of the world, you know, a beautiful part of the Cotswolds in um, uh, sort of southwest England. And, you know, we, we're not surrounded by massive cities. We're not surrounded with lots of facilities for training. We're not surrounded by lots of players because it's not a densely populated area. It's not like we're based in London or Manchester or, you know, we're, we are a little bit out in the sticks. So there are other challenges around, you know, recruitment of staff, recruitment of players, try, finding good quality training venues and facilities um, and the things that you need to be able to develop those players. Um, so it's not all plain sailing, but... To say when you you have that incentive and you have that sort of link you know at least you know that you're doing it for something and there is a, an end product to it um because i think a lot of academies run you know bigger and better and academies than ours um but who don't have that um link with their first team they don't have that pathway um and it's sort of a little bit chat more you know challenging and must be quite hard to motivate yourself when they don't see that pathway to go through uh, absolutely. And uh, now we're seeing a few clubs, which is, it's really good to see. They're being a bit more strategic with their kind of uh, philosophy of how the clubs should be run. Uh, taking Northampton uh, Town, unfortunately, who, who got beat by Fulham in the playoffs. But they're, they're kind of model of developing talent and then selling them just to bring in almost like a watered down version of, let's say, Dortmund. And there seems to be a few clubs which are being a bit more clever of how they're run. Is that possibly something uh, that Forest Green, uh, the, obviously, a, a, you know, not at championship level, but is that something that Forest Green could aspire to, do you think? Yeah, well, I think, I think it's actually quite sad because I think clubs like Brentford, clubs like um, Salford now are going the way, Huddersfield, they're actually moving away from academies and moving towards just coaching at the top end. So saying, well, actually, we'll let the bigger clubs um, do all the legwork, you know, your Man City's, your Man United's, your Chelsea's, your, you know, we'll let them do all the legwork. And when they spit them out because they're not good enough for them, we pick them up, give them an opportunity and they progress on. Um, 
which is one model, but I think it's quite, you know, as I say, quite sad, you know, what we hope to be able to do is, you know, have players that come through the pathway and have an opportunity at our club. Um, as I say, we're really lucky that we've got a couple of younger boys, you know, two 14-year-olds played in our reserve team last year. Um, and, you know, they're coming through the system. But if you're only going to say, well, we're only going to work with 18s and 23s, it makes, it makes developing players easier because, you know, it's a lot easier to say if a player is going to be any good when they're 18 or 23 than it is when they're 9 or 10. But, you know, the real aspiration is to have them going all the way through that pathway um, and being a forest green player, you know, being about our club, not being a reject from somewhere else that we have to take and, you know, and develop to, you know, and get them in that way. Um, that's the aspiration of where we'd want to go. Well, uh, just before we move on, and, and James has a, a couple of questions, uh, what, what age groups have you got there running through? Is it, is it from bottom all the way, all the way through? Yes, yes. And we've just started doing sort of under sevens, under eights, you know, so the really young ones, you know, just trying to get that pathway um, all the way through. Um, and that's, as I say, that's the aspiration. It's not easy, but, you know, you're starting to see it again, you know, a lot more now in the Premier League with boys that have started in the academy system at their club at, you know, eight, seven years old that are now coming through as Premier League players. You know, so it is doable um, if you put the right systems in place. Hannah, uh, quick question. Obviously, we've been talking and I've just picked up on the fact that you're talking about creating Forest Green players, Forest Green Rovers from a young age and bringing them through. And, and that's, the, that's the plan for the academy and, and the first team and, and the board and everybody looking down and you guys looking up. Could you kind of uh, give us a, an idea of what the, the key values are of the academy for? So what is it you're trying to instill? What kind of players or what's the mentality? Is there a mantra? Is there a mission? What does a Forest Green Rover Academy graduate look like? Yeah, and again, I suppose, you know, I'm saying we're very lucky, but, you, you know, I do think we're in a great position because, you know, that's not dictated by me and it shouldn't be dictated by me. You know, that's not even dictated by the first team manager. It's dictated from director of football, you know, so because I may leave, manager may leave, you, you know, you want to be, a, to be strategic and to do it properly. You want that path, you want that in place. So whoever's running the academy, whoever's running the first team, um, that it doesn't change because we know how volatile football is. You know, one manager wants one thing and if they change after a year or two years, again, we're quite lucky here. We've had a quite stable manager, but if it, that were to change, if that DNA were to change and the player, the type of player they wanted were to change, obviously that whole pathway then sort of gets to rip it up and start again with what you're trying to do. So again, we're quite lucky in that, that that's driven by the director of football. So there's a strategy throughout the club um, and our biggest sort of, drive that we look for is technically proficient footballers um, we again we are the small fish in a in the big pond you know with a we've got um, Southampton who run a development centre just down the road in Bath um, we have Reading one side we have Birmingham clubs so Villa West Brom the other side obviously the Welsh clubs in the other direction so Carlos and Swansea so we you know I say that, that maybe that little club um, up on the hill and we try and as I say, develop technically proficient footballers. Um, we, ha we think about athleticism in terms of affecting the game. Um, I think there's a lot of talk in terms of um, youth footballers and size and physicality. And again, it's a lot easier to, you know, push a boy who's six foot four, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that's not really our DNA. Our DNA is about that technical proficiency, um, but yet being able to affect the game, um, as I say, in a physical aspect. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, great to, to hear that. And yeah, about pushing the players who might not necessarily be the, the obvious ones. Uh, 
moving on from that question, is there any key, um, other, like, so obviously the technically proficient footballers, but are, are there any values that, what are the values of Forest Green? What are the things that you try and um, instill in them? Like, obviously, and the attitude, um, hard work, are, are there specific walls on, walls on, walls, words on the wall? Are there things that come out from the coaches? Is, is, there, any, is, is there anything that you can tell us about? Yeah, I think that's a bigger picture around our club. So we talk about um, developing global citizens um, because obviously Forest Green, Rovers and its principles and its values and its values as, a, as an organisation. They're part of that organisation. You know, so I suppose if you really dig into that, it's you know, being young people, but you know, it's giving, looking into projects around sustainability, um, as I say, contributing to the local community. Um, so all the things that the ethos of Forest Green as a football club, they need to sort of instill and, and show um, as players, because again, you know, obviously it's a fully vegan football club. So the players, when they come in the door at 18 or as first team players will have vegan food, but it's trying to educate them around why that is, you know, and the, as I said, the impact of eating meat on, on, on our, um, uh, on the ecosystem, as it were, and, and you know how our, our behaviours affect what goes on in the world. Fantastic! And the global citizens is very fitting for this call, being as we're in three different countries. And yeah. I didn't know that Forest Green was a vegan football club. Wow, fantastic! So yeah. <laughs> didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I don't, it's I don't know where I would have read that. Well, I, I guess I was speaking with Hannah uh, before before we went live, and and. I guess it's because I'm I'm quite interested in in kind of League Two and, and League One um, football, but yeah, it, I mean, Hannah, can you tell us a, a little bit about Eco Park and and obviously James? This is kind of new for James now, but yeah, it, it's it's a big thing, mate. And this is like a, a unique yeah, standing point, but it, this is why Forest Green Rovers are, are unique. And I, I love the part about veganism because when when you're looking at pro athletes, I know everyone's probably seen Game Changers, the documentary, but the science is there as evidence for professional athletes with the right team around you. So I think it's superb. Yeah, sorry, Hannah, can, can you just, yeah, yeah, dive into that a little bit more uh, for, for everyone's benefit and, and James's as well? Yeah, yeah well, um, so the football club is um, owned by Dale Vince and Dale's, um, he obviously runs the football club, but he also runs Ecotricity. Uh, which is the club's main sponsor, who is a renewable energy company. Um, so he took over the club and is in, sort of instilled these values throughout the whole organisation, as I say, with Ecotricity and with us at Forest Green. Um, and Forest Green has actually been, um, is UN have set, um, FIFA have said that we are the greenest football club in the world. Um, so, it, you know, it's official. Um, uh, so we do a lot of things that are a little bit different. Um, and that sort of reflects, I think, what we do in the academy and what we do with the first thing, that things are a little bit different. Um, we're not scared to do things differently. So the football club is on a road that is called Another Way. Uh, but they are mean it. Um, you know, and it's the ethos of the football club is doing that things a little bit differently. So in terms of the stadium, you know, we have solar panels. Um, so all the power comes from solar energy. Um, we have uh, we do water um, containers. Uh, for the pitches, we don't use any chemicals on the pitches. It's all um, natural substances that are used on pitch. Um, we use a solar power mower, so it's not a diesel mower. Um, so they use diesel, um, and all the food that you get in the stadium on a match day is vegan. So if you're a fan and you come and watch a game, 
you know you can't get a chicken pie it's a, a corn pie um you know that, that we do not serve meat on on site um and that's the same for the players so all the first team players and the academy players you know when they eat in, in the club anything that we feed them is vegan um so yeah we do things slightly differently over here fantastic uh, I, I know we were conscious of time. Can I just ask another question about the vegan aspect? Yeah, of course. Hannah, were you a vegan before you came to the club or are you now a vegan? And what about the players that translate through the players? Don't want to put you on the spot there. But the, no, uh, no, the people, or do all the players buy into it? You know, when they go home, do they, do they continue that or just have interest? No, 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 not at all. It's, a, it's a quite a common question. Um, no one, you know, the club aren't saying, you know, you can't play for us unless you're a vegan, or you can't work for us unless you're a vegan. Um, you know, it's, and the vegan thing, you know, is obviously about the impact that it has on the planet, you know, the, the reduction, you know, the eating of meat and fish, etc. So, um, but within the club, that is all that we serve, you know, anything yeah. that the, the club purchases. And now the boys can eat meat away. From, again, we're not preaching. You know, no one's yeah. preaching. That you have to become a vegan if you work here. You have to become a vegan if you play here. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> no, but I tell you, the food is good. Our chef, Jade, here is unbelievable. And you'd be amazed on how good the vegan food is. And I know there's certainly first team players who have turned vegan um, because they have seen the benefits, as you say, around yeah. recovery a lot of the time on their yeah. performances. Um, and even as staff, if you start to reduce your, you know, your meat intake just by a small percentage by just not having it a couple of days a week, it does have a massive effect um, on not by yourself, but also again on the planet. So, um, as I say, the club we're not preaching, just you know, trying to show people that that vegan food isn't isn't that bad. It's not all lettuce leaves, you know. Again, you come on a match day and the food is nice. Absolutely, and. and um... Just finishing on this uh, topic now, although it's really interesting, but the, the science is there and I, I'm from a fitness coach background myself and it's surprising how many athletes and especially pro athletes, if they haven't been told for some reason, who still think it's okay to eat meat kind of pre-match and it, and it just slows down the process of getting oxygen into your blood without going into it too deep. So this just is perfect. And why wouldn't somebody, uh, a professional player or academy aspiring to be a professional, want to get involved with that? And the, the great thing about that, Hannah, as you mentioned before, you've got a lot of strong clubs with strong academies around you. But this is something unique. And this is not, not that it's been done on purpose. This is just how it, how it is and, and with the owner's background and, and everything. And this is a unique, unique thing where if I was a player and I had maybe had a choice, maybe I'll, I'll think, you know what, they're, they're onto something here. And if I'm going to be performing better and kind of not, not that they, they won't be looked after as good as somewhere else, but if I can probably get the best out of my performance here, then it's a great selling point to, to get stuck into the club. And, and going back to the aspect of the fans not enjoying their uh, pucker pie or whatever they eat uh, over there. Uh, we're not in Rochdale anymore. <laughs> I forgot. So uh, the, 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 the meat pie, you know, it, it brings the whole club together and the community as well. So this is something where it's, you know, not just for the staff and the players and the club what are doing it, but everyone's in it together. This is what we, we do because we're Forest Green Rovers. And I think it's I think it's excellent. I, I love it. So, James, is that is that good for you now? You're going to be googling away later. 
Uh, yeah, it's fine. I, I could ask her loads more questions. I'm really intrigued by, by it and, and you know, performance <laughs> and the benefits. I'd love to know how, if, if it's measured and, and everything. But Hannah, maybe I'll ask you a different time. Um, but I'd love to know if, there's, if it's measured, um, the, the, the effect it has on performance from when players first come in and, and all that kind of aspect. It, but, it is, know, let, let's move on. It is certainly, it is certainly really interesting for, for everyone involved in, in all kinds of sport. And, uh, that could just, be another part. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can bring Hannah back on again and say, right, we're just talking about <laughs> what you're doing there with nutrition and sports science. So, Fantastic. Hannah, from, from where you are now in your academy, uh, academy manager role, uh, previously you was uh, at Notts County and, and Burton, uh, Burton Albion as, as an academy coach, but also at Burton Albion uh, you as a head of coaching as well. So what experiences from then past roles or experiences in past life and, and roles has helped you to get to where you are now and what have you really took on board and improved on and reflected on? Yeah, I had a bit of a, let's say, an interesting journey. Um, I probably worked out relatively young that I wasn't going to be the best player. Um, I think, you know, growing up when I did, it was the women's football wasn't as strong as it is now. You know, I think the, the opportunities for, for female players now is unbelievable, certainly compared to when I was growing up. Um, so I sort of made the decision relatively young that I was going to go into coaching. Um, but while still playing a bit, um, women's football obviously played on a Sunday. I would coach on a Saturday. Um, and so that largely lent to male football. So that's what I, my sort of journey always started with, um, predominantly actually not sort of men's non-league football, because again, that sport was played on a Saturday afternoon. Um, so sort of step five, step four, sort of non-league football was probably what, where I learned my trade, really. And I do think if you can deal with a group of, you know, <laughs> men who've been at work all day and then come in for a training session who don't really, you know, I mean, who just want to play five side if you're really honest. You know, if you can cope with that group of players, you can cope with anything sort of thing. Um, and then alongside that, um, I, did, I, I was a teacher. So I worked at a college and then went on to work at a university. And I do think that helps in terms of understanding people and learning and how to get information across um, and I do think that sort of supported what I was doing um, in terms of my coaching as well um, and then similarly I think as, as, as you said about your, um, your your other pod was in terms of I started with the little ones that was I remember going into Notts County and I had an A license I think I just passed my A license and I'd gone in with the under nines I was like brilliant I think I was the only A licensed coach in the academy in the, as a part time coach. With the You've group, been working with seniors already at non league as well. Yeah, yeah. And actually, at that time, I was with Lincoln City Ladies in the WSL working with international players. You know, we had Casey Stoney, who's obviously yeah. at Manchester United. Yeah. She was English captain at the time, playing for Lincoln. Big time. I was coaching on a couple of nights a week and then coaching the under nines on another couple of nights a week. Um, but it was, you know, it was experiences that, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a foot in the door. And that's obviously what you're always aspiring to do. Um, and then I had sort of a bump in the road, as it were, um, sort of given the ultimatum. You stay working with your under nines or you, you, you stay with women, with Lincoln. So Notts County said you can't do both. So logic says I work with the women. I work with the senior internationals that I'm working yeah. with. Off my toddle. Yeah. Um, then the manager got sacked. So I weren't working with them anymore. And now I have no job. And so, um, but then I was lucky to get an opportunity at Burton. And um, again, 
younger age group, slightly older. I think I started with the 12s, um, so sort of 9v9 format. Um, but then worked my way up. And in fairness to Burton, you know, give 100% credit for that. Um, that was where the vacancy was. I don't think it was a bias because of my gender. Yeah. Um, yeah. And once I'd worked there for a while and established myself, you know, I worked it through the age groups. Um, and then obviously when that role came as head of coaching, uh, because my background was as a university lecturer in coaching, um, it was a logical pro pro progression for me because they knew me and knew my background. I think it was easier then to step into that role. But now, I, I've got a couple of uh, feelings about this. First of all, that, that's absolutely brilliant just to hear, hear your pathway and, and the skills you've acquired, not from outside of football as well, especially around education. And, and you find that can be such a benefit when you do go into uh, managerial roles in the academy or, or head of coaching because, you know, it's, it's not just coaching. It's managing people, managing children, teenagers, adults. It's doing admin work. It, it's being able to wear different hats at different times and quickly uh, being flexible enough to, to put on another hat for, for a quick hour and then, and then get back on the pitch as well. Now, I'm not going to dwell on it too much, and, and this is me bringing this up because I, it, it just really annoys me. So if I see that there's, a, okay, we need a coach for the U12s. Now, there's a male coach coming in, B license, A license. Now, I'm not, I'm not going the other way and being against male coaches now, but there's a B license male coach who's got experience at U9s and U10s. Anna's coming in. She's worked with international uh, senior ladies. She's already worked with big 40-year-old veteran meathead captains in non-league with senior men's football. Only a licensed coach uh, at the club. Who should we put down at U9s? Uh, yeah, come on, let's stick Hannah down there. And I really hope, and it is, it is improving, but I really hope it continues to improve with good coaches, uh, which are showing that, that that's not the way. If you're a good coach, you, you get put in the age group or at the level in which you've got the best experience at. If you've coached international players at a certain level, you've coached international players. If you've coached U9s, 10s, 11s, 12s, and you're an excellent coach at that level, for now, maybe you're the best person, you're the best coach for that level. And I hope it's sooner rather than later, but I know there's still a lot of... Uh, a lot of hurdles to cross, a lot of barriers to break down, where we can actually start putting the people, the best people for the job in the right positions. But Hannah, it showed your, your strength of character to keep pushing through. And, you know, you didn't moan about it. You kind of just swerved. You kept going in your right direction. You proved yourself. And then Burton, in the end, like you said, fair play to him. It would have been ridiculous for them not to say, you know what, we've got the perfect person here for head of coaching. So fair play for sticking to it. And, uh, and in the end, you, you got what I, I believe you rightly deserved as well. So from the head of coaching role of Burton, uh, now this is my ignorance a little bit. Uh, I, I've been an academy coach, but in, in Asia, uh, just the, the difference between kind of head of coaching and academy coach. And did you find anything useful in the role in Burton as uh, head of coaching, which is now helping you a lot where you are now? Definitely. I suppose as, a, as the head of coaching, your role is to develop the coaches. So the Premier League have invested a lot of money by putting this um, role in every club. So it's, it's a funded role from the Premier League with ring fence money. You can only spend on this role. 
for this person to develop the coaches because they've identified that we invest all this money in developing the players, but who's helping the coaches get better? Um, and somebody in the club daily working with the coaches, improving the quality of coaches will ultimately improve the quality of players. Um, so that was my role there. And then obviously the academy manager more oversees the whole lot. Um, so actually, maybe the, the challenge was stepping away from that. So when you were used to being so almost hands-on and being on top of curriculums and what we're delivering and how we're delivering it and they're very nitty-gritty on the grass football stuff. So maybe to taking a step back and going, well, actually, I have a head of coaching who's responsible for that now. So I'm just responsible for making sure that they're doing that right, that we've got this support over here and, you know, it's all tying together and it's all linked to that philosophy and that key objective that we, all, that we have as a football club to get those players through. Um, so there's some overlap, but actually sometimes it's harder to take that step back because you almost could, can end up micromanaging because you've done that role and you think that role should be done that way. Um, so I, I try and stop myself from doing that to allow that, you know, the person who's in the head of coaching role at our club to do what they want to do not why did it Burton and just move over here because that, it doesn't always fit like that because we are a different club as I say we do things slightly differently and it you, you know just ripping off what Burton did isn't necessarily right for Forest Green. Uh, I, just a quick one there I, lo I love the fact that um, basically bringing up the fact that better coaches equates to better players eventually and uh, what I would like for to help out some some coaches out there who are listening in obviously quite massive amount of experience now and um so maybe if you give us a little pearls of wisdom on this one what do you believe is the most important quality for an academy coach when you're looking to to appoint a new one or or somebody who's already in in, in a position okay no i'm laughing because we have this discussion quite regularly because you know, it's very easy to go in and appoint the most experienced coach, the most qualified coach, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not, I don't believe, always the right thing. And um, mm. I think certainly with the younger age groups, consistency is key. So obviously we employ a lot of part-time coaches who work on the evenings with our schoolboy programme. And, you know, again, you can have the most qualified, experienced coach, but if they're not turning up every week, they don't create that relationship with the players. Um, and that sort of consistency of just them being there it sounds really basic, but it is so key because they start to trust you and, you know, those bonds are built. Um, and then that other one would just be, as I say, the enthusiasm and the, you know, to want to help them and to listen to them and, you know, how they get on with the kids and how they relate with the kids and if they can get the best out of them. I think actually it sounds awful because I know that's what we're taught throughout the whole pathways. It's a tech tack, it's a tech tack, you know, that's the important bit. But if it was boring as hell and I have all the technical detail, the kids are not going to relate to you. They're not going to take it on board. They're not going to do it. You know, I'd rather have a coach who maybe isn't the best technically and tactical, but really inspire them and, you know, motivate them and get the kids coming out with smiles on their faces and wanting to play the game. Because, you know, I'm not saying 100% the game's a teacher, but they will learn when just, play, you know, playing and, you know, they will get better. They will improve it, you know. So I don't think that, particularly with the younger age groups, you know, going through that pathway, that that heavy tech, technical, technical, detail is you know and it's the be all, be all and end all of being a coach yeah fantastic and yeah i guess I, as you say it sounds obvious but it's not always obvious because coaches coming into academy roles they've got aspirations that are, are, are high that commitment to the role you're in being present is, is is so important because there's so much to learn in any position and this obviously this equates to any job it equates to any industry you've got to be present you've got to be willing to learn and you've got to be 
be a sponge and absorb everything that's going on around you and the good and the bad and, and filter out how you're going to become a better coach. And then this one, maybe I'm, I'm not sure how it's, the question is, I know what the question means and hopefully you'll understand it. When you're looking at coaches, um, coaches that are already in the academy, coaches that are potential new coaches, as you said, they've got, um, they've obviously got their licenses, they've got their technical tactical ability. You found the ones with the commitment and the enthusiasm. Is there a specific quality that might be missing that coaches, football coaches, should be looking to develop uh, like a, a certain thing that they could work on that might not necessarily be normal to, to football coaches? Um, and maybe as an educator as well, that might be easier for you to answer. No, definitely. I think. Well, firstly, I think, you know, when we talk about the consistency and yeah. I was 100 percent guilty of this and I would say it because we're all trace it, chasing that golden thing at the end, you know, a, a full time job in football. So we're all chasing it. And there's usually about three different pathways that we're trying to follow at the same time. So, as I say, I was doing Notts County Academy, I was doing the Lincoln City Ladies and I was doing non-league. You know, I was trying to do as much as I could to try and get myself in the door. Um, but sometimes that can, as I say, almost go against you in terms of that consistency, because if you are trying to juggle six different things you know sometimes you've just got to invest I think in one sort of pathway and say right I'm going to be the best academy coach I can be um, you know I am going to really know these kids inside out and understand children and know this and, and invest in being either a foundation phase or a YD phase or you know wherever you're going to be but invest in that because as I say I, I would 100% of my hand up being guilty of just trying to do everything to try and find that one door that might open to get in and I do think you know, we are always looking for foundation phase specialists, the ones that are specialists for the younger age groups, because what tends to happen is they come in as a foundation phase age group. So say the end of 10s, you want to be the end of 16s coach. You know, they all want to move on and they want to move on as quickly as they can. So if you, you know, for me, the, the ones that are gold dust are those that really, really, really want to work with 9s, 10, 11 year olds. They really, really, really want to, you know, know about those types of kids and invest in those. Um, and in terms of a skill, I think it's about people um, and I was, it's interesting, I've just completed the LMA diploma um, and this is around first team managers. Um, and, you know, we did do a project and we spoke to lots of managers. And what came out is that, that, that personal skills, those interpersonal skills. So again, if I go back to our coaching courses, all about technical, tactical information, you know, it might be a bit of, you know, analysis or sports science. Or, but we don't really talk about those sort of softer skills. You know, can you talk to somebody can you um you know get them to buy into what you're trying to get them to do you, you know so if as you're a first team manager you need to get those 16 players in front of you to do what you want them to do so how are you going to do that because that's not what's taught you're taught that you know you need the fullback needs to go and press there you need to tuck around you're not taught of how you're going to inspire them how you're going to get them to you know buy into your vision to what you're trying to get that you know team to achieve so I think those are the, the skills that, you know, no one ever really teaches you. And I think as coaches, you probably have to take a bit of responsibility to trying to develop those um, through, I suppose, going out and working and, you know, trying things and doing different, um, having different experiences to try and improve yourself. James, that was a great question. And, and Hannah answered it perfectly because just going back uh, at the start of this kind of topic where Hannah, Hannah said, Hannah, you mentioned uh, about kind of character and, and being able to, and, and even just now, have people actually want to do what you ask them to do or be inspired by you. 
you know, you can't teach or coach charisma or character of a, a coach. Whereas, yes, you can go on the course and get your CV or, or A license or, sorry, level two. But there isn't a course, just as you said, for being charismatic or actually influencing people to like you and follow you. Now, James runs his own academies and I, I've been a, a general manager and academy manager and everything where, you know, you get CV sent to you and, and you, you know yourself, Hannah, and you look and you're thinking, well, great, yeah, he's got this, this and this or she's got this, this and that. But I want to talk to you. So now what I find when I interview people, it's not really an interview, it's just a chat. And as soon as I start it, they're all formal, shirt and tie, and they've got the script out. And I'm like, right, we're just talking. What have you been up to today? Tell me about it. And we're just talking normally. That's all I want to know. I've got your CV. Look, I know you've got an A license and you've done this and this, but come on, let's talk about you. What have you been doing? And I think that's so important because uh, a common error of judgment, what a lot of managers make is, they take things on face value and then you get them into the position and they're just not what you thought they would be or they're not ready for it yet. And when we're looking at these, these age groups, lower age groups, they need to be inspired and they do need specific attention. And there's only special people who can continue. And the point you made, Hannah, about, uh, you know, everyone's in such a hurry. I mean, I was in such a hurry to do what I want to do, but in such a hurry from uh, lower ages to get to U16s and U19s where there's such a, a scope for someone to go in there and be a real specialist, whether it be uh, early years coach or U9s to, to 12s. Sorry, I'm, I'm not all in the age groups with the, the UK uh, uh, slang words uh, and, and the groups, but you could go in there and really make a name for yourself as a coach. Oh, yeah. Do you know, uh, do you know James Malcoon? Oh, yeah. U12s and 13s best person for the job. He'll get a job in any country, anywhere, at any club. And I think uh, a lot of coaches are missing a trick here to crave out kind of their own pathway. It's not to say you have to do it forever, but there's a real chance to become one of the best at something what people are in such a hurry to get out of. So I, I love them points you made, Hannah. And uh, just going from that topic how many staff in total with part-timers volunteers and full-timers uh have you got working at the moment in in the academy uh, i think we've got about 30 staff um i've got to be honest covid's probably again caused us a few issues in terms of turnover of staff um you know people have different challenges going on in their lives that make it sometimes it difficult particularly for part-time staff who are you know committing evenings and sundays you know, which is antisocial working hours to come and help us. Um, but yeah, we've got um, around 30 staff, uh, part-time and full-time at work, at work on the programme. Smashing, smashing. And, and, and that's when you really see, look, like you said, everyone's got different things going on. It doesn't mean to say you have to be fully committed at being a football coach, but this is where you see, you know, people who want this as a career, and those who are probably just doing it to try and help out or something to do. It is a commitment, but this is the line of work we choose when we get into the coaching and football industry. Uh, and social hours, that's what we do. I actually saw a post somewhere on, on social media a few days ago, and it was asking that we should have a union against unsociable hours. And it's like, well, <laughs> you can't have your dream career and the hours you want to work as well. You know, that, that's why it's a dream career, right? So that, that wouldn't really work. James, before we just uh, tune out, any, any last couple of questions for Hannah? 
I, again, lo loads of questions that I, I could probably go into. It's a, it's, a, it's a topic that I think is, is really deserves more discussion and um, the better coaches and making sure that coaches are prepared for what actually is such an important role in, in sports. And I think that I, from what I see from, from working as a, an academy owner, a technical director for the last 10 years is what Hannah alluded to and well not alluded to spoke about is that the softer skills, the interpersonal skills and actually some other like, and Matt, you spoke CV writing. I think coaches sometimes really need a little bit more help, they need more development. Um, I don't know why that is. And I think potentially that it's really something that we need to help coaches develop. Uh, we need to find that enthusiasm and that commitment to, to the to the workplace to, to the children and to the to the players and then we need to help them with the other skills um, around it and I think that's really important I'm not entirely sure what the what what the process would be or how moving forward you can do that and I guess Hannah you are doing that so it's not a question really it's just Hannah is it something that you help the coaches with rather than uh, just to you know get out on the field this is how you plan a session do you help them improve in being ready for that next move being ready to to step up to the next role is it, it um, yeah from in, in the UK I'm just wondering if it is something that happens yeah well I think that's where that as I say that head of coaching role is really sort of coming to its own you know I think we've got to give credit for the sort of Premier League for that really and sort of saying you know giving every club that money because you know and that you can only spend on that role so it sort of forces clubs out that everybody has to have this person in post and um, to and then therefore once they're in post and because they're funded by the Premier League, the Premier League can um, keep sort of monitor if they're doing what they should be doing, I suppose, you know, because they funded the post, they need to check that they are, you know, that's obviously what they're doing. But their role within the club is obviously to support each each coach on their individual pathway. Um, so for some, as I say, it would be being the best under nines coach they can be and staying as under nines. Some will say, you know, we talk a lot about what we call a North Star. So you set a North Star, right? Where do you want to be in five years time? Well, actually, I want to be the 18th coach. Right, okay, well then maybe let's give the under nines coach now five years, maybe, you know, maybe try and be like the under 14s coach or, you know, so how, and then how are we going to help you get there? So what do you need to develop? What do you need to get better at? And then setting them sort of development targets based on what they need to improve to get to where they want to go in five years time to develop it through, you know, and a lot of the thinking of that was, again, a lack of British coaches um, yeah. at the top level of our own game, you know, so can we develop coaches within the academy environments that, you know, could be 20, 23 coaches who then could potentially step up be first team managers or first team coaches to try and get the pathway of, again, the pathway of coaches within the British game, you know, as, as well as the, what the players, because the players now we are, we're getting more British players in the Premier League, you know, it is seeming to having an effect, but coaching is still a little way behind in terms of British coaches getting the opportunity as first managers within the, you know, British game. And, and did the coaches buy in? Are they are they are they looking to improve, or, or is it lip service? Like, is that sometimes what I I feel? Some coaches, oh yeah, I really want to do this, but it, they're not really buying into it. What I've got to do? Yeah, and I think that's the the difference, I suppose, is what I'm saying around the people who have maybe three different things going on, don't really invest in that one because they're thinking, well, I've got you know this job, at, or maybe I'm a maybe I do the men's first team over here at non-league. And then I'm doing the under-14s for Forest Green, but then I'm also doing this school job over here or something. So it's beating Bob and it's not really investing, you know, within that environment. And I think, you know, there's, a, there's 
those that will and those that won't but those that will will have that you know hopefully have that drive to to go on succeed and progress through the pathway and um, you know and we want to see as we talk about players progressing as i say we want to see coaches progressing we want to see pr- coaches you know potentially are uh, under 18s coach potentially one day being the manager of you know, the first team you know if they're developed and they they know the principles and that philosophy of the football club that sort of dripped down from the top down you know that they would be the natural progressor um, rather than going outside of the club external to the club and even the country you know to, to find the next manager. I know that's smashing and uh, a great point to end on because you've given us so much uh, advice knowledge insight and it's, for myself, it's really been an inspiration because, for one, not in a patronising way whatsoever. As a player, I would want to work in an academy under you and also as part of your staff as well because I believe your background, your experience, and also the work you're doing now and your skills is what I could benefit from. And you've already got experience in the, in the senior game in the male senior game. So I'm not talking, it's very easy to think, oh, she's a, a, a senior coach. Oh, what with, uh, for example, Lincoln City Women. No, I, I can, you've already had experience in the senior game, male senior game. You're now a manager, an academy manager, actually academy manager, not female RTC academy manager or RTC manager. So the, the next step in the future, I would love to see you actually as a first team manager at a, a football league club, a professional club as well. And let's hope it, it happens when you're ready uh, sometime in the future. And it will be absolute pleasure to see that happen. But most of all, Hannah, thank you so much for, for your time. And it's, been, uh, it's just been so great to, to talk with you. Love to, love to stay in touch and uh, speak more about the, the club and good luck in all the endeavours. And as I said, as Matt said, let's hope to see Forest Green Rovers climbing up the leagues and getting that, e- moving on with that eco message as well. Fantastic. You're going to have to come and try and fly the Q pie. Will do, will do. There's any chance of me travelling soon, I'll be, I'll be there. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us for what was another brilliant episode there. Really insightful and I really enjoyed it. Hope you did as well. Join us for the next episode and make sure you subscribe so you get the next episode on the platform of your choice. Take care. Bye-bye.